ever been burnt out? Alarmingly, a lot of us don't realize we are on the path to burnout until we are in the thick of burnout. Today's guest is going to help us figure this out, identify it, prevent it, and power our lives differently. This is Alex, your host of the Lotox Life podcast and founder of the Lotox Movement. I'm so thrilled to have you here and today's show is a cracker. Burnout is something I've experienced myself. It is something I know a lot of people in my circle have experienced, whether you're too young to know that you're pushing on beyond where you should be pushing on or whether you haven't done your values work and your outer world and your inner world are really misaligned, there are a lot of factors that can play into burnout, including things that are often beyond our control, like moving through the grief of a loved one, caring for a sick family member, and having to be there. And that can be a huge strain that can burn us out. There are so many different scenarios and one that comes up time and again with the doctors I've had on the show over the years on the Lotox Life podcast is young physicians in residency burning out, Uh, people at university burning out doing their term papers. Uh, There are a lot of people who end up making their mess their message in the health field Myself included, in a way, that's kind of how Lotox life came about with the chronic tonsillitis, the missing period for a couple of years, and the answers to that being to start looking at my body more holistically in terms of my healthcare options, as well as starting to strip back all of the high tox products that I was using every day in my life. So... Burnout has many different faces. We're going to discuss some of them today. And my guest is Dr. Naya Sangwan. And Naya has written two books. This is her second, Powered by Me. And that is what today's conversation is going to center on. But when we uh, stopped recording and started actually just kind of personally fleshing out a couple of the the bits that came up uh, as recurring themes throughout the show, we also talked about conflict. Uh, And she has a book for that. So we will be having her back uh, after this show. You'll realize absolutely why I was like, immediately let's book back in and discuss moving through conflict in all different forms of conflict and difficult conversations in the months to come. So today, what you will get is a a chance to think about your values. You'll get a chance to look at how different values play out for different people in one scenario. The example of the two friends doing a detox kick together was brilliant to illustrate how different things are important to different people. Uh, and, you know, in a, in a health culture that tries to 
make this whole sort of guru idea of my way or the highway. It's just so refreshing to explore gray areas and different perspectives and make space for that for each other, right? So that is a huge part of today, as well as looking at some of the more interesting physiological things that we could tune into symptomatically that are very personal, uh, completely bio-individual in terms of what comes up for you in different different moments for you to recognize when if you say yes to something you're going to be in misalignment uh, and I know that that people-pleasing thing Mel Robbins and Nair did a whole show on people-pleasing which you're welcome to check out uh, after this one uh, and uh, you know it's a big issue for lots of us so Naya is an engineer, she's a physician, uh, she was forced off her job by a psychiatrist colleague who said, no, no, you are not going back on the floor today, you are suffering from burnout and need medical time out. Uh, and, uh, you know, that was the start of her journey of rebuilding her health, of starting to set boundaries, and from there she's built this wonderful resource in her book. And, of course, also in having chats like this and on her gorgeous Instagram to support people navigating anything like this and, most importantly, to help us know how to prevent it uh, because we are actually a lot more powerful than we might think uh, when it comes to that. So I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, a shout-out to our major sponsor, Oz Climate, with their incredible Winix air purifiers and dehumidifiers. East Coast Australia right now is so humid, kind of averaging like 75, 85 humidity a day, 95 if it's raining, and uh, my hair is proof of that. So if you don't have a dehumidifier in place to protect your soft furnishings, any carpet you might have, rugs, clothes, shoes, bags, etc., dehumidifiers are a brilliant way of looking after your stuff and having a hygrometer which Oz Climate actually also sell is a really great way of checking in on your indoor humidity I've done a ton on this I can pop some more links on the resources of the show notes if you're interested but your code is LOWTOXLIFE and your discount is 10% off their often already discounted prices at ozclimate.com.au I also just want to point out that low tox method is open. If you have something of an idea or a startup in the low tox space, whatever your low tox niche is, or maybe you have a more traditional mainstream business that you're thinking of pivoting in some way to include low tox offerings. We've had uh, graphic designers go through the program in the past. I've had a wonderful interior designer in New York switch her interior design consultancy to being a low tox specialist in that space. Uh, we've had uh, physiotherapists who've begun doing online neuro coaching. The list goes on. Head to Low Tox Life, hit the courses tab, and you'll see in the drop down the Low Tox method, or you could Google Low Tox method and it'll come up as well. And registration is open. I'm so excited to work with the next group that comes through. It's a beautiful four or eight month journey. You have the option, and uh, a lot of past students are kicking some amazing goals. So that's it from me, and let us now talk about burnout. Hello, Naya. How are you? Very well. Great to be with you, Alex. Oh, I'm well, burnout. I mean, <laughs> what a topic. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that we have your fantastic self here 
to help us look at it. And as I was reading your book, preparing for the interview, and I was stalking you on Instagram, and I was just, I was thinking about how this is so much a conversation for not only the people who are really feeling it, but the people who may be quite significantly well on their way towards it and not realizing it yet. And then the people who are in complete denial, like we're in a push on culture and, you know, get, pull your socks up and get on with it. Um, we, we have this cold and flu medicine in Australia called soldier on with codrel. Actually the codrel is the name of the medicine, but the tagline is soldier on. And I remember it from the eighties. Like, you know, you don't forget these things. And it was a picture of someone like waking up feeling like crap. And then it's soldier on with codrel, soldier on, soldier on. And like you take <laughs> your codrel and then you get to work and you feel like a million bucks, but you don't. Physiologically, it's all just a big cover-up job, as are a lot of the uppers in modern life, right? Yeah. I mean, what do you, what do you, when you're not feeling well, what's the one thing you want to do? Crawl in bed and go yeah. to sleep. Uh-huh. And, and there's a reason for that. There's a reason mm. because when you're sleeping, that's when your body gets to do three really important things. The first one is physical repair. So repairing your muscles. If you've gone to the gym, you've worked out, you've lifted some things, whatever it is. So physical repair, which also includes not just your muscles, but your immune system. That's the time when your immune function gets to recharge, clean up, check for any invaders, all of these things. The second thing that happens when you're sleeping is memory consolidation. So you can actually remember what you learned and integrate it. Third is emotional processing. And if over time people soldier on, <laughs> what happens is the body has to prioritize one of those pieces. Mm -hmm. And which one do you think it prioritizes? It prioritizes emotional processing. Oh, and I see body, what you're saying. And your body doesn't yes. get time to repair. Uh -huh. And so people who soldier on actually fall sick in order for their body to get them to get that sleep that they need so that they can rebuild their immune function. And most people think that the body would prioritize physical repair and emotional repair, but your body knows that what is much more stressful to you and much more damaging is unresolved emotions. Mm. So, so much so. It no? is. And one of the first things I picked up in your book as I was reading it was the line, burnout is a misalignment with our inner world and our outer worlds. You Let's bet. unpack that. What does that look yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think most people don't, if you ask them, you know, what are your top five values? What matters Mine? most to you? Yeah. So if I just said like, hey, what are your top five values? Most people are not running around knowing that. Yeah. Unless you have to do the work. Do work. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And so if I asked you that, what were some of yours? What would some of yours be? You don't have to say five, but what would some of the highest ones be? Peace is my number one value. Mm. Adventure. Interestingly, because mm. that might not seem peaceful <laughs> to people, but like it brings me peace. That expanse, that feeling of freedom uh, is very peaceful for me. Uh, and um, I value the um, the deep 
depth, like I value integrity uh, and and truth big time. Yeah. And I'd say for anybody listening, what I want you to know is there's no right and there's no wrong. There's just what's right for you right now. And that can shift tomorrow. It can shift later today, right? Um, it can shift when you hear something new that inspires you and you discover something else matters more or a situation or a conflict that you have uh, that brings to light that something else is more important. So I, I yes, I'm going to want all of you listening to be thinking about this. I'll tell you my top five, and this is only because I've written a book and I've delineated <laughs> this, and that's yeah. the only reason I know it. Love, integrity, service, beauty, and play. Mm, love Those that. are my, my top five. Now, I can define each of those. Like under love is community, family, connection, right? Under integrity, like some people say, well, isn't that authenticity? Isn't that, you know, honesty? Yeah. But the word that really works for me is integrity because it feels like alignment from the inside out. And that's what you were asking about just now. You know, how do you, how do you heal burnout from the inside out? Well, first of all, you got to know what matters to you and you should be able to name what matters to you. And you just did it right? It was, it was about peace. It was about adventure. It was about family. It was about integrity. It was about truth, right? And so you don't have to have it like these are the top five, but if you do a process where they're clear to you, once you have that clarity, you can now make difficult decisions without even all the information. It, like Just like our world right now, right? The pandemic and all sorts of things. You can make complex decisions easily and not go to decision fatigue. Because if I know, let me, let me pick some other ones randomly. Okay. So let's say some of mine were, my highest values were efficiency, um, security, like finances, like how much something costs, um, efficiency, um, and convenience, and ease. Okay. So let's say some of those were mine. Now, if there's a choice to go to the grocery store uh, every day, <clears throat> and maybe, maybe, yeah, there's a choice to go to, we decide to do a detox program together. And there's complex things that I have to do and my blueberry shake and all the things we have to make. Okay. If you are someone who values efficiency over ease and cost, you may go to the corner store that has the thing that you need and, and you may buy whatever's there to make sure you have everything and you're done, right? But if you're someone who loves to get the best deal and that's the big thing for you and you don't care if it's harder and you don't care if the store is 30 minutes away, you may make a choice to do something else. In the end, we may have the same result, but our choices are different based on who we are from the inside out. I may believe that energy is money. So if five minutes away is where I can get everything, if you go 30 minutes away and you say you got it $2 cheaper for each bag or whatever it is, I may say, yeah, well, I saved those two bucks in my time. I was there and back in 15 minutes. It took you an hour and a half to do it. Not worth my time. Right. So you start to make decisions even on everyday items about how you manage your energy mm -hmm. based on what you value. Yeah. So That's... it's 
Yeah. So you got to start with knowing what, who you are, what you value, how you make decisions and what gives you a net gain and a net drain of energy. Net gain, net drain. (laughs) I I mean, that's just, that just needs like a t-shirt to just keep reminding us to check in with that. That's, that's gold. Mm. And it's not just thinking like, this is the trick. If you want to know whether you have a net gain or a net drain of energy, let's say physically. Okay. I would ask you like, how good are you at, you know, how satisfied are you with your food and how you nourish yourself? Do you use, you know, whole foods? Do you nourish yourself at regular intervals throughout the day? You know, do you, do you feel good about that? How good do you feel about, about that? Are you someone grabbing, you know, whatever energy is near you because your stomach is rumbling and it's 2 PM and you just realized you didn't eat food, sleep, energy movement. Okay. Mm. Sleep, sleep is about, um, do you have a, um, do you wake up in the morning feeling well rested? And that would be seven to nine hours of not just quantity of sleep, but quality of sleep. Mm. Are you somebody who, by the way, checks in with your body or do you check in with your wearable technology and to see how you slept last night? Mm. I always think about it first, always. Uh And then check. And then check on the ring uh, sink. (laughs) Yeah, because- I love that. Yeah, and I feel like I need both. One, because I went through chronic illness with mold poisoning uh, and it was extremely helpful from a data points perspective, like how is my HRV improving? And I found that really motivating to see what tweaks I was making and how it was working. But I completely agree with the message I think you're sending here which is if we hyper-externalize to everything else giving us the answers outside of ourselves, then we, we lose, lose the most intuition. vital communication we have, which is intuition, 100%. That's right. That's right. Mm. And so sleep, um, f- food, sleep, movement, do you have a joyful way to move your body every day uh, or a couple times a week? And energy, do you have consistent energy throughout the day? So let's say you rated that on a scale of 1 to 10, right? Mm. Anything less than a 10, all you'd have to do is tell me what would make it a 10. Mm. And now you have your physical plan of energy. Okay. And when you're doing this physical plan of energy and you're looking at the answers you've written on the sheet, the way you know you have a net gain or a net drain of energy is by whether or not you also check in with your body and your body as you're filling all of these out needs to be relaxed, open, and at ease and feeling light. But if you check in with your answers that say, oh yeah, I'm great on sleep. Oh yeah, my energy's fine. Oh yeah, I eat fine. But when you check in to your body as you're doing this and your body's constricted, heavy, tight, then you know that there's the mind is trying to override the body and say like, oh, it's fine. Four hours of sleep is perfectly enough. Right. But your body is heavy. It feels Mm. tired. It feels depleted. So your mind and your body, in order to know a net gain or a net drain of energy, those two have to be in congruence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your body. Often we're like, no, no, I'll be right. Like, it's like you, you rationalize and you talk yourself up. Like we've got this. It's just one day. Right. Or it's just one week of hustle. Uh, And then until it's not. No. Well, that's because our society 
Mm. has taught us that faster is better. We got to do more with less, you know, success requires struggle. We should care about profit over people. You Mm. know, we have a societal, we're swimming in a societal soup of beliefs that I just think don't align with our biology. Yeah. Speaking of incongruence, right? Right. Mm. And and we want to belong. I mean, mm. belonging is as important as sleep and, you know, air and, and water. We we want to belong. And so if we've been raised in this, you know, belief system, we have somehow just grown to believe it must be true. And I, I really hope that people listening feel that this is a wake up call. Like you can question if these things aren't working for you, if you don't feel good, if you know you're having a net drain of energy in one or more areas, it might be time to reevaluate whether these societal beliefs really match the harmony of your own biology. <laughs> Journal it, write it down, look at it every day until it sinks in. That was yeah. that was great, Naya. Um, and I think when I read your story, when your psychiatrist colleague uh, you know, you said, so, you know, should I put in for some time like next month off? And he's like, no, no, you're <laughs> not going back to work today. And the yeah. shock that you described, like the disbelief that, yeah. I mean, you had patients waiting, um, but he very correctly pointed out they weren't waiting specifically for you. They were waiting for care, which they would get from someone. And yeah, just you not had me. to go home. Yeah. Can you talk about how that felt because I think we've all had those moments where, well, if we're lucky enough uh, in tough times of of pushing ourselves way too much for way too long, we've had those reality check moments from a concerned family member, a colleague. Uh, sometimes we don't have that kind of uh, reality check, but you did. Um, and you talk about some of the mental phases you kind of had to go through to process oh, I'm not going back to work, am I? And I think that's interesting because a lot of us feel almost so much shame of the idea of like, oh, I'm, I'm, that is me saying I'm weak. That is me saying I can't do this. And as a young doctor, I could imagine that that would feel really tough. Yeah, it felt like failure. I mean, I it felt like a personal failure. I now know that burnout was not at all a failure. In mm. fact, burnout was my wake-up call to my truest life. Yeah. But it was, it felt like a failure for my biology in keeping up with what society told me I should do. I should be able to be awake in the hospital for 36 hours without sleep. I, If I was going every third night, I did that. I mean, none of this is normal. And not normal. I don't know, really know what is normal or not normal anymore. But what I know is it is not in sync with with my biology. And now I trust my biology much more. Back then, which was 20 years ago, I trusted other people more than I trusted my own biology. And I think that's a big mistake that we fall into. We're born in the world and, you know, as little beings... We depend on others to feed us, clothe us, change our diapers, answer when we cry, all of these things. And I think right from the beginning, we're conditioned to believe that 
we need to depend on others and we need to perform to make them happy and proud. Then we get into our family and we start, we're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and now it's about our siblings and our parents being proud of us. And pretty soon it's in our teenage years, it's about shifting that to our peers and do we belong there? And then it moves into our workspace and does our boss, what about our review? And what, And then it's about our partners and the cycle just continues. And it usually takes a wake-up call in our lives, this thing we think is the most horrible thing that could ever happen, the unthinkable. You know, I'm an engineer, I'm a doctor, I'm all these things, but like, how could I hit a wall and be out on medical leave? Like people paying me 60% of my pay and I'm not doing anything? That definitely felt like a failure in the moment. And now what I know it really was, was I had used many coping mechanisms and adaptations that over time I needed more and more of just to keep going. And I had pushed through my body, not partnered with it. And at some point when we, when our mind separates from our heart and our body, there is going to be a reckoning. The question is what decade, when, right? But there will be a reckoning. And and I'm really grateful that mine happened at 33 years old because then it was time to say, oh, I've outgrown two ice cold 16 ounce Mountain Dews and a king size Snickers bar <laughs> as the way to get through 36 hours without sleeping. Do you I need think? To, you know, <laughs> so I needed to say, I needed to say no to yeah. another shift and to the money of another shift. And I needed to say yes to a good night's sleep. Mm. And I needed some rewiring because that's not what my training and society taught me. And yeah. so I think there's, there's a lot of people, this entire next generation who are saying, hey guys, the way you're moving and what you're teaching us doesn't work with our biology. And there's a big mental, emotional health breakdown that's going on with anxiety and the number of medications skyrocketing for depression and anxiety and all these things. Like we cannot separate human beings as human doings and separate our body and heart from our mind. And so that's, that's really um, the shock of it all was I was so entrenched in believing that I could push through anything. And in fact, my success was me pushing through the biological needs. I told other people that they needed to heal. That it was this wake up call, like you are not superhuman. You are exactly the things that you are telling other people. And thank God I didn't hurt anyone or something catastrophic, like writing a, the wrong medication or something like that didn't happen. But I will tell you, my initial response was of, defensiveness and guardedness and what do you mean I'm not okay what wait a minute but like I can I was still in it um and I thought I was just sidelining a colleague you know just for some advice like hey you know what do you something weird happened I said the same question four times and I don't remember it what do you think's going on something weird is happening here and he was like oh boy like you are not functioning mm. um but, you know, I was always tired. I was, I, I thought it was <laughs> well, normal. Well, it becomes the normal, right? That's the yeah. scary part. 
And, and so many people are going through that. And as I was pondering our chat yesterday, I was, I was wondering, you know, I I have ADHD and I love patterns and, and thinking of how things correlate and networks and putting it all together. And one of the things that came up for me was GDP theory, it's born, the idea of infinite growth, and it's all about growth. And then politicians being obsessed with birth rates and, you know, things that make the front page news in our culture are birth rates are down in France and the government's scrambling to try and get people to reproduce. And it's like, well, if you look at the environmental studies, kind of cool to keep the population where it's at, if not smaller. Um, and then, you know, so all of this growth in every, you know, shareholders get pissed off if the shares dip, uh, politicians freak out if the birth rate dips, uh, companies freak out if the profits go like even a tiny bit down. It means the entire team's a failure. And, um, and then could we plot the rise of burnout with the rise of, uh, GDP theory in society. And I kind of reckon we would be able to because of the way it's had us all become wired in the 20, 20th and 21st century. It's, and I love that Gen Z, you know, initially my responsible push through Gen X self was like, these people are like swapping and changing like musical chairs. Like they're not building anything. <laughs> you know, they're not pushing through. They can't hustle when we've got a deadline. And I'm like, actually they're onto something. This is What can I learn from them? How can I do this differently so that we shift our goalposts into a truly congruent and sustainable way of doing business, you know, and working with people as well as then, you know, not then having work overtake our personal lives because of that, like, in, like, insatiable need for growth performance and success in that world um just to have your teeny tiny little dinner with your family weekend and a one-year holiday um for a week you know it just none of it makes sense to our biology you've said it three times now already and I'm like yeah it really doesn't no it doesn't it's just not compatible and Mm-mm. I think we can make them wrong we can say oh they're lazy and they are um you know, they just don't want to work hard. But I look at me and I think to myself, my God, I was willing to push through my very self so that I could be successful in the way that the world measures success. I never took into account what does success look like for me? Mm. And what do I want? I was so desperately trying to please the world and be recognized and be seen and be heard. And I thought I had to do it the way the world wanted me to. And I think that I had no boundaries. And I think what Gen Z is now saying to us is the other side of that, which is, yes, we got to slow down. And I actually think if we come together and respect each other and really listen to each other, they'll speed up a little bit and we'll Mm -hmm. slow down. And I think we could we could find a sweet spot together by valuing each other, Mm -hmm. you know, And so that I think is going to be a lot of the company wellness programs that are going to be beginning, you know, how do you bridge the generational divide? You do the same thing we started this podcast with. You align people from the inside out. You help them understand that they all want the same thing. 
Um, and we have to learn the lessons that, and the impact of, of how we've done it and how it's worked. And maybe we've outgrown it just like I outgrew the Mountain Dew and the Snickers, right? I'm really like glad you outgrew those. That, that was a good move. <laughs> good move. But it, I mean, that again speaks to another broken and incongruent uh, thing yep. of like our health professionals yeah. uh, having these massive processed servings just to get themselves through to care for people's health. I mean, it makes no sense. No sense. No mm. sense. And I, I really would ask, you know, if we have all collectively used our minds to decide that success means that you push through yourself to serve other people, like these things are not sustainable. And, you know, I really want people listening to know that stress causes or exacerbates more than 80% of all illness. And there is, I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of an, an illness or something that wouldn't be better in your life with less stress. Now, there's always the you stress, the part that the deadline that gets you moving and gets you focused. You know, there's there's a good element to, hey, we've got to get this done, right? So that is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when it becomes a chronic, unrelenting space that your biology has to adjust to over and over again. And we're not meant to do that. We're meant to do it for short periods of time, but we are not meant to do it for our life. Yeah. And I think that's a great message because, you know, the these conversations might risk if we don't very deliberately point it out. This is not you need to now be a yogi on a hill 24-7 and not let any stress into your life because that's actually like part of human physiology is learning to be flexible through stress. But you you absolutely need the dips uh, between stressful periods, whether it's good, exciting stress to you, can do, get to do stuff um, versus, oh, my gosh, this is tough, um, my mum's so sick stuff. Like we're all going to have these sorts of moments in our lives. Um, so it's almost like we need to think about it conceptually like holidaying from stressful periods, <laughs> just making sure yeah, there or- are... Well, or how about the other way around? I that our life, you one of your highest values is peace. I I love that you didn't say drama, right? Because peace and drama would have been the more of opposites. But you said peace and adventure, mm. which I love it because it it's the mental framework that you use. For one person, bungee jumping is an adventure, and for another one, it is complete terror and drama, right? Like, oh my God, that's like but it depends on who you are and how you perceive things. And that will determine which of those it is. And so I think really what we need to know is we need to know ourselves. And this goes back to the aligning from the inside out and healing burnout from the inside out. The number one thing that I'd say, uh, empowered by me, is the book, is that know yourself. Because if you know yourself, from that grounded space, you can now bring on the complexity of interacting with others in a very clear way. But if what you're doing is you're acting like driftwood in the ocean and you're just going whatever way the the people around you are going, you're going to always feel lost, you know, because everything changes, every environment, like every room you walk into, everything changes. But if you're the same and you know you, there's a consistency that goes throughout the different home, work, social, 
you know who you are and you can be that, you mm-hmm. know? A hundred percent. And I think, you know, I, I see actually in a lot of uh, ADHD education online or people sharing their experiences, they talk about that morphing, like you morph into different accents and you morph into different uh, dynamics, uh, like a chameleon almost. And I sort of started to reflect on that in my own life. And I thought, am I, do I lose myself for the sake of fitting in with other people? And then I thought, no, there is actually a line and there are always lines, right? It's a beautiful quality in that you can make people feel comfortable, friendly, and related to easily in any room you're in. Like that's an amazing skill. It doesn't mean you have to lose yourself. And I think, you know, whether you have something like a neurodivergence uh, or not, um, and, you know, I always question like, aren't we all just different? (laughs) Isn't that actually where we're going to end up with all of this? Hopefully it is. Um, But at this point there's neurotypical and then there's not. And I really think, you know, people have an opportunity, however they're experiencing life, to check in with who am I and what, uh, what, what is me relating to other people and making space for other people while still being me And what is me forgetting myself, losing myself? And I'm thinking sometimes those relationships where you wake up six months after dating someone and go, who am I? (laughs) I've literally become everything this other person wanted me to be. Like who hasn't been there, right? So it's work. I think the the key there is something I call your body map. And it's that it's going back to that whole uh, net gain, net drain that we're talking about, where you don't just use your head and the fear of not belonging to make your decisions. You also tune in to whether, when a request is being made of you, whether your body feels constricted, contracted, heavy, tight, um, you know, kind of depleted or guarded, or does it feel open, relaxed, light, you know? And you have to tune in literally to your body and which guides you to your emotions in your heart Versus what many people do, which is just go straight here and feel maybe a fear of not belonging here and just say yes when they really mean no. And I think the the more you, so like we always want to be open to other people's feedback, other people's requests, other people's input, opinions, all of that. But the best way I can say it is In the end, when it's time for you to make a decision, I hope you can hear the sound, like turn up the sound of your own heart slightly louder than you can hear the voices of others. And the way that you do that is through knowing the unique language of your body. So when I am out of my comfort zone, my my throat will constrict. It'll go a little bit into my jaw. My stomach will turn like a washing machine. I know When that happens, especially when it's in combination with the throat, I'm not saying something I need to say. Now, for other people, it might be sweating. It might be your heart racing. It might be your ears get red. Um, It might be tingling in your fingers and toes. I don't know what it is. It might be the goosebumps, whatever. But if you haven't deciphered the unique way that your physiology communicates with you before anyone else knows then you're basically in the ocean 
without navigation tools or a compass. Because you don't know how to gauge that. And what you're gauging by default is what other people around you want. Mm -hmm. And people are going to ask you, right? Until you say no, they're just going to keep trying. That's right. Because Mm. why wouldn't they? I mean, Mm. and, and good on them. My God, if they ask you and you say, you just keep going and, you know, they're getting more and more of what they want. Why wouldn't they? But you're going to figure out that you are far, far away from your true self and your, you know, destination that you were hoping to get to. And a lot of times I think people just don't articulate it or actually include themselves in the equation. Yes. And that's the people pleasing uh, label, like a a term that people really understand. It's like, oh, I now know. I do that. Uh, For example, a lot of people talk about it online a lot. You talked about it in your book. You talked about how you realized, oh my gosh, when my throat closes up a bit, that's me saying yes to doing something for someone and I didn't want to. So how did you remedy it for yourself? What, what, well, what did you, I did an entire, I, do you know, I, I don't know if you know Mel Robbins, but Mel, Mel, yeah. So Mel and I did an entire podcast uh, on her podcast of people pleasing. So if anyone wants that and the other thing, and the other thing I'd tell you is I built a page, it's called nehowithmel.com where you can get like free excerpts of my book and free audios and all the, and your own download of burnout, your own burnout assessment uh, is on there as well. So nehowithmel.com is, is a place you can get that. But what I would say is when I was about 33 years old, I did not put this in the book, but my older sister called me and she asked me, she was the one who planned all the social events in our family. And she was planning yet another event, whatever it was. But now I was working. I was literally in the hospital. So I had to pick Thanksgiving, Christmas, or New Year's. I had to pick two of the three to be at the hospital. And so that year I had chosen, uh, or no, it's like Thanksgiving and New Year's or Christmas. And I had chosen Christmas. So when she said to me, hey, this is what we're doing for Christmas. This is what's happening. This is when you should fly in. This is when you, I said to her, I'm not coming home for Christmas this year because I'm going to be at the hospital. And, and I said, so no, you know, don't count me in. And she said, what did you say? And I said, I said, no, don't count me in. She said, I do not know. And at that point I had started studying self-awareness and communication and all of this. She said to me, I've never heard you say no to me in 33 years. And she hung up and she didn't talk to me for a while. I want to say 18 months she didn't talk to me. And it was during that time that I, just like that day at the hospital, when I realized how, you know, how much I had pushed through my body and didn't even know it, that day I remember thinking, oh my gosh, you've never said no? Like, she is so shocked. I mean, even the level of her shock told me how much I had turned myself into a pretzel to please her. And 18 months later, uh, she picked up the phone and she called me back. And I have to tell you, in those 18 months, I got so strong within me. I didn't try to call her back. I didn't. I used that moment as a moment of like, Neha, why don't you sit in the corner and figure out why you don't know how to use the word no? You know, like, what are you doing? And I also realized then that I was saying no to her, but I was saying yes to me. 
And so anytime you say yes, let's say someone's listening to this podcast, you've said yes to listening to this podcast and you've said no to everything else in your life. And so anytime you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. And anytime you're saying no to something, it's just because you're saying yes to something else. And so figure out who you're saying yes to and who you're saying no to. And please, please, please include yourself in the equation. Saying yes to a good night's sleep and no to, you know, another shift is a perfectly good answer. Saying no to going to a social event and yes to your own rest is a fabulous, you know, decision. And it's great to say yes to the party if you've got the energy and, you know, you're able to do it. So there's no right or wrongs here. It's really about knowing what you value, aligning from the inside out, listening to others, letting it in, while also counterbalancing it with yourself slightly more than others. And that doesn't mean be selfish or be a narcissist or only think of yourself. No. But it's about this fine balance of who we are as individuals while we coexist with others. And it's it's getting that dance right for ourselves each decade, each you know phase of our life. I mean, things keep changing. They do. And you mature as well. So you actually get to know yourself better. And, you know, 15 years ago, I would have said yes to volunteering for some some sort of administration support. If someone asked me for help in the community uh, locally, I would have said, yeah, sure, I'll come to the meeting and write the notes and then email everybody afterwards. No problems if that's what you need. Um, But then someone reached out a couple of years ago at school and said, you know, you should really join the parents committee. And I'm terrible at administration, Neha. I like really, really bad. <laughs> like you would would be at the absolute bottom of reliability if you want an admin task done um, yep. because of how much I hate it. Uh, and uh, it just makes no sense to my brain. But so I know that now. So I said, you know what? No, the parents committee is not for me. I'll be awful at it. But, you know, the Christmas party, the bar sucks. And I used to run bars back in my hospitality days. And I, and I like to it. put together a really yeah. great Christmas party bar. So that's my job at school now. I, you know, do this big fundraiser bar and it's super fun. And I, I teach. And I think things. also the I, way to word it is really yeah. important because that's what people think, which is, well, how am I going to say that? Mm. And I think it's like what I can do is this. What I can't do is this. Yeah. Right. What what I can do is turn this, you know, awful bar that we've got into a into the highlight of the party. Mm. You know, what I can't do is administrative skills that make me nauseous just thinking about them. Yeah. You know, so this is how I want to show up in the world in these different contexts and um, and show up for yourself at the same time, because it feels good to do something you love to do and that benefits other people. Like that's gold. Win, 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 win. Yeah. You're mm-hmm. going to, and you're also going to be creative at it. Mm-hmm. You're going to come up with better ideas to make it better and, you know, make it more fun. And that's where creativity and innovation live. Mm-hmm. When we're congruent. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and another way to say it is in alignment. Mm-hmm. Another way to say it is from the inside out right? So that it's really who you are that you bring to the, whatever you're doing in the world. Yes. And so to sort of finish off on this 
people pleasing when is it when is it not and how do we not be selfish on the road to starting to say no more yeah. uh are we saying that the journey of self exploration also reveals how you truly want to show up and give as well yeah absolutely and that comes with boundaries as well mm. we have to learn where we end and somebody else begins so what i'd say on the people pleasing is People pleasing is when you give up of yourself, when when you feel uncomfortable inside yourself, but you're not willing to voice that. And you're doing it so that you can please another person. So you're saying yes when you really mean no. You're overriding your body map or that physiological discomfort that I told you about. And I'm just saying yes to another when my body is screaming no. And it's my inability to tolerate that discomfort that has me choose an easy win right now by saying yes to you. So that's what it is. And so what we want to teach people in order to strengthen that would be, you got to get a little comfy with discomfort. You have to say something like, you know, I know how hard you're working on, on the gathering this weekend and, um, I also want to tell you how grateful I am that you pull all of us together regularly. And I know how much work it is as well. I won't be able to attend on Saturday, but what I can contribute, if you could, what I can contribute is my favorite cheesecake, um, the, the dish I know you love. So I'm going to have my son send that over and um, I might be able to catch you next time. That's my hope that we're going to be able to do that. Now, I'm a little wishy-washy there, or I might say, definitely the party in April I'm in. Right. So there's lots of different ways. Or you say, you know what? I'm not a person who really likes large gatherings. So it'll, it's a no for Saturday, but you know what we could do? How about you and I grab coffee Wednesday morning? Right. So all of these decisions become much easier when we know ourselves. And I think that's really the bottom line, people pleasing. And I think before it's about trusting yourself, trusting that you can sit through the discomfort, that you're willing to take the messages that your body is telling you, you're willing to align. And people say to me, well, how do we do that? You know, how, how do I get more self-trust? And the easiest way to do that is make one simple agreement with yourself today and keep it. So if I say, today I'm going to be in bed by 10 o'clock, I'm going to read you know, until I fall asleep. And hopefully that'll be 10, 30, 11 o'clock. I want to be asleep asleep by 11 o'clock. But the, the agreement I'm going to make with myself is tonight I'm getting in bed at 10 o'clock. If I keep that agreement, I will trust myself more tomorrow. And the more you keep trusting yourself, the more you'll counterweight the balance of others. Mm, so, so it's like we're I building think- a muscle here, right? You bet. The mm. muscle of self-trust, self-confidence. You know, when we all go through hard, hard things, mm. the benefit of going through hardship, don't protect your children or yourself from hardship. When you go through them, what you get is something you can't get anywhere else, which is self-confidence, self-trust, yeah. the knowing that if it's hard, you can do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh story it's not a tangent it's completely on point and it is my son started his scholastic year last year just jumped into year nine 
at ninth grade, which means the first year you get to choose a couple of things you're really into in the mix of your subjects and you get to color a couple that you're really not. Uh, so it's a beautiful transitional age. And he chose uh, sports science. He loves psychology. He's a tennis fanatic. Uh, he's a ball kid at tournaments, you know, one of those kids. And he gets there and he's like more on the goofy, not quite puberty yet, still really loving childhood. And all the kids in this class are the cool kids, the tall, sporty, hot ones who are all very busy being teenagers already. And and he's like, oh, and he felt like the dodgeball warm-up exercise. He got attacked and he and like so I I get the panicked email, I get the panicked phone call after school. I'm letting him be in his catastrophe and really feeling for the kid because it's it sounds awful. And I'm also reaching out to the sports teacher and saying, look, this is what I got. What's your perspective? Is there an opportunity for a victim to victor story here? Or should we just go ahead and see what other electives are on at the same time? Because I'm ready for either and I don't want this kid to absolutely freak out about having to spend two years with a group of people he really doesn't like. Like that's not fun for a sixth of your day. Um, and uh, and I want to honour the boundary if that's the one he ends up setting. But I also am not on the ground and I'm fully reconnaissant of the fact that you might see, well, I know those kids and deep down they're actually good kids he doesn't have siblings. He's probably just a bit more sensitive to play and boys right. just playing rough. And yeah. I think we could work through this, which is what he said. And I said to Seb, your, your teacher's written back, would you like to hear it? He heard it. And I said, would you be willing to go to class one more time before we look at other options? He thought about it. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll go again. I'll try again. Mm. And, you know, and I think it's, everything you just talked about with the people pleasing is like you with teenagers, you also kind of want to field for like when it's a resilience building opportunity versus a, a, oh, let's just accept that teenager's boundary because they don't even know their own strength yet. It can be That's tricky. Right. That's right. Well, he is lucky to call you mom. Oh, my thanks. I, I really tried my best on that. I was like, okay, let's just cover all the bases and then the week yeah. will unfold and we'll do what we end up doing. Well, see, you're willing to sit in the discomfort. Mm. You're willing to sit in the discomfort. One of the things you said was first you asked him, you gave him the respect of, would you like to hear the answer? Uh, another thing you did when you spoke with the uh, coach was you said, should we look for other options or what is your perspective? You didn't come in there as this is what's going on for my son. You need to fix it. You know, <laughs> all of these things you came in with curiosity. You came in with openness. That's you being willing to sit in the discomfort and pain. Of yeah, it was gross. Going I'm, I'm not oh. going to lie. It was awful. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and what an incredible opportunity because he now got to make the choice mm. and he now knows a few things. When something doesn't feel right, you're someone safe he can tell. Mm. Number two, you'll do something about it. And you'll do it in a respectful way that is going to create a, an invisible bridge between your hearts, not, you know, this discomfort and you can't handle the conflict. So you're saying like, suck it up, don't do that. Or, you know, saying to the coach, you need to fix this, right? Instead, you you opened 
the uh, bridges. And so he he got that if he talks to mom, mom will not react, but in fact, respond at, with curiosity. And so he's getting to learn from you the way that you're doing this with him. So I always say to parents, be really careful how you treat your children and what you say to them, because your outside voice becomes their inside voice. Right. You were so respectful about giving him choice. And he now can see that in something that felt really hard, there can be choices. Right. It isn't that you just have to be a uh, run away. Right. You can actually have a discussion. Maybe perhaps things can change. Um, and, and if they don't, he still has an option to leave. Mm. I think that's just beautiful. Oh, thanks. And I, I really wanted to share it in that moment because you were talking about like that respect of boundary and and choices. And I think, you know, if we bring it to life with real life struggles and real life things we're going through, people go, oh, yeah, something like that happened to me once. Or I remember when I was a kid, my my mom or my dad said, suck it up. You've just got to toughen up and go for it. And, and then people end up with thousands and thousands of dollars worth of psychology bills later on trying to work through why, um, why they push down feelings. And I, I think, you, you know, we've talked about it a couple of times already. It's about finding those sweet spots, like existing with people uh, around us and building connections, but doing it from a place where, I'm aligned and it feels right to explore everything before we move forward. Yeah. Well, that's mm. because you're, you're the key there is you you know how to breathe through discomfort. You know how to sit in it and know that it will resolve. You're not trying to get over it as fast as possible. Mm. And people need to learn to slow down in order to speed up. Mm. Right. And, and slowing down means getting comfortable with discomfort in your body. Now, if you don't know the unique language, and so this is in the, in the book that I wrote, it's called Powered by Me, From Burned Out to Fully Charged. At oh, yeah. In- I talked about it all through the intro. Don't you worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, chapter four, mm. chapter four is called um, Deciphering Your Body's Unique Language. Yes. And, and it's, so if there's you're- so much goodness in there to actually help yeah. you know how to do it, because we need to know that it's quite an, a unique blueprint. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's as unique as your fingerprint. Each of Mm. us has a different way that our body talks to us. And if you're somebody who's like, I don't know how my body talks to me, grab a stone, grab an AirPod case, grab something outside that feels good in your hand. And when you're on meetings or you're, you're talking to someone, you know, and you can't feel anything inside you, what I want you to know is that's just because you've tuned to into the external world much more than you're tuned into you. So just mm-hmm. hold on to something. And if you can't feel anything when something surprises you or emotions change or whatever, just start by being able to feel what's in your hand. And after a few times, pretty soon, it'll open up. Oh, wow. There's this tightness in my shoulders. Oh, my chest feels tight. Oh, my jaw. You'll start to open up. But sometimes you have to take something from the external world and help it give you clues to your internal world. Mm, and that's kind of building that proprioception. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then can I ask you a couple of really practical questions around the road to burn up and the, the burn up, burn out. Well, sometimes it feels like you're burning up. Uh, burn out in the sense that what we might notice and go, ooh, okay, 
I'm doing that a lot at the moment. Like one of the things that you mentioned was cynicism is Mm. one of the key burnout symptoms. And I remember being burnt out in a job that I was in in my 20s. I'd, you know, been promoted way beyond my years. um, And I remember just being cynical and anti everything in the office. And I was always taking smoke breaks. And I was, I just, I could see this 24 year old me going, who is this? This is so like, I just didn't even recognize myself, but I also didn't know what to do at that young age about myself. Um, This is is another one where you have to slow down so you can speed mm. up. You have to slow down enough to know what thoughts are going on repeat in your mind. So we have 70 on average, 70,000 thoughts per day. Yeah. 90 to 95% of them are the same as yesterday. I mean, that's kind of depressing, but anyway, it's only when we meet a new friend, we have a crisis, we have a new opportunity or adventure that we go on, that new things get infused into our world. That's why it's so hard to change our minds. So the first thing I'd say is slow down and just start paying attention when you're in the shower, when you're commuting, when you're up in the middle of the night, like what are these thoughts that are on repeat in your mind? Just like on a playlist, right? You're listening to a song on repeat. What are the ones that are going in your mind? Because you have to become aware of what you're thinking of and what you're, a lot of times people would say, oh, I'm not cynical. I'm not, I don't, cynicism. So let me talk about the triad of burnout. Burnout is is a triad, defined as a triad. There's exhaustion. Yes, it's physical, mental, emotional exhaustion, but that's not all. You've been, in that exhausted phase for a while, and you've used all these coping mechanisms. Maybe you start with a cup of coffee in the morning and now you've gotten to, can you make it a double, right? You start to need more and more of your coping mechanisms to get through the day. Then at some point, cynicism creeps in and it's like this thought that's like, you know what? It doesn't matter how hard I work, how hard I try. It's not gonna make a difference. Some version of that, which I liken to an undertow in the ocean where you can't see it, but boy, you can feel it. And now you have all this exhaustion that you've been adjusting to for all this time. And now your mind has divided from your body and it's it's going against it, right? It's telling you, you're not gonna get out of this. And then their third one is ineffectiveness. So you have exhaustion, cynicism, ineffectiveness. When the cynicism is coming, to you. That's oftentimes you might feel isolated or alone, but you might choose not to be social because not because you don't think you need it, not because you're not lonely. You are. It's because you don't have the energy to be in a social setting. You cannot muster that energy. So you choose something called depersonalization where you start distancing yourself from people. Um, you might refer to people as case 26, like you can talk to the guy in 26 or, you know, number 26 or whatever it is. You start not even calling people by their names, right? Because it's just too much energy to connect. So exhaustion, cynicism, and, uh, ineffectiveness. Um, and then there's three phases that you go through in burnout, which is there's the alarm phase where you just got on a treadmill going a little too fast. It's like adrenaline. You might feel irritable, defensive, all of that. If that goes on for some period of time, you move into something called chronic adaptation, where now you're using all those mechanisms and you're just trying to hold on. 
And then one more thing needs to happen and you start sliding down the slippery slope of burnout to ineffectiveness. And that's the exhaustion phase. So there's burnout doesn't like you're not fine Monday and then by Friday you're burned out. It's it's there's an adjusting of your physiology. There's there's this whole thing that happens and people who burn out are usually really high achievers. They're usually people who are committed to something. That's, that's you know, burn out, right? Like you're on fire for something and then it fizzles because you're either out of energy, you're something else has happened where like I was not even putting my body in the equation, right? So there's something you have miscalculated. There is some net drain of energy and that's what's leading you there. Yes. And isn't it interesting when we think about uh, media? I saw a brilliant post you did on Instagram, I think just a couple of weeks ago, about surrendering to what is as a first step to actually having agency again when you feel you have none. And I thought that was brilliant, Neha, because media has made it such that we have intimate knowledge of all the awful things happening in our world all the time. We can literally follow correspondence on Instagram, on the ground, in any of the 20 conflicts, major conflicts that are going on in our world right now. There aren't more conflicts now than there were 100 years ago, believe it or not, folks. It's actually the safest statistical time to be alive. But what there is is intimate knowledge, and it can make us completely feel helpless in the world we live in, right? And Yeah, intimate knowledge in real time. Yeah, and what you shared was so powerful because if you surrender to what is, it is. It is happening, all of it. And you just let it go for a minute. You can then think, well, what can I do? I can be more compassionate. That's how I can generate a bit more peace right now, today. That is the agency I have. But like, if you don't surrender, there's no space. There's just panic about all the awful things. And I feel like we do that in our own lives as well. Yeah. And I like anything, when we're talking about anything complicated, I always think of it on a me, we world level. And first of all, peace worldwide starts from inside for sure. Um, And when, you know, I, I, people have always said to me, why do you care so much about the bullying that, why did you step in and say something? Why? Like, you're not going to make a difference. The world is so big. And I always say, well, I just made a difference in my corner of the world. Right. And so there's, there's a way that if each of us was paying attention to our own corner of the world, the world would be different. And so rather than getting overwhelmed by the enormity of it all and what can we do, start with being kind to yourself, start with helping your neighbor, start with that whole idea of like, you think global, but you act locally, right? If we were all doing that, we'd make an enormous shift in the world. And so I think it's really about remembering um, that we are making a difference. Every single one of us is. And when you meet somebody else who really resonates with you, that's doing something incredible in the world, I want you to remember that before you met them, you didn't know that that parallel soul was busy doing that amazing work, right? And so there's more, I, I think of us as tea lights in the world, like you light goodness, you put light in the world. And if we all keep doing this, that those tea lights are going to come together and create, you know, a flame. 
and there, but you got to just keep doing it. Even when you can't see, uh, what other people are doing, like your mm. own business is what you need to be focused on. Who are yeah. you? How do you show up in your corner of the world? Yeah. hundred percent. And that actually protects us from burnout and makes a bigger difference than being in a panic cycle about all the things and, and, um, all the worries. I want to finish by asking you about something practical we could all take on into our week. And uh, maybe it's something you do that you'd love to share, or maybe it's just that first step that you feel would be the most effective way for someone to just check in and see how much are we actually feeling into the inner world conversation in our own lives right now. And is that where we need to start? Um, sure. So I would say there's tools, right? There's tools to do all of this. This isn't just like an idea that we're talking about. Um, so whether you buy the book or not, I'll just give you the link to get the, the tools that are of soft belly breathing, of guided imagery, of uh, autonomics. There's science underneath you bringing your physiology back into balance and I've literally made six videos um, of this. And so uh, it's called intuitiveintelligenceinc.com forward slash. It's called Powered by Me is the book. So it's PBM Resources. Oh, we will put it in the show notes so that people yeah. can connect so to that. Yeah. I, I, rather than explaining it to them, mm, I, yes, I think please. All good. the most important thing would be to Start the work. Experience, <laughs> experience. Take five minutes and yeah. experience what guided imagery is. And I'll leave you with this: your mind, uh, your body doesn't know the difference between thoughts that are real or imagined. And what I mean by that is, think about when you're having a nightmare, you're dreaming, you're being, you're falling off a cliff, you're being chased by someone, someone's breaking into the house. I don't know what's happening, but something pretty terrifying is happening. When you wake up, you are sweating, your heart is racing, you've kicked the covers off, but you look around and it's dark, it's black, pitch black, it's peaceful, it's quiet. But your body doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. It responds to your thoughts as if they're real. So what if we could flip that? And we could, and one of the guided imageries I do there, I do a body scan and I do a safe place guided imagery. So if you're someone who's listening that really needs to be feel regrounded again instantly at times in your life, do the safe place and the body scan imagery. Because what if, if our body doesn't know the difference, why wouldn't we bring ourselves back to a safe place that we could then access any time we were feeling out of sorts, before we went into an interview or an important meeting, before we had a, co a conversation with someone that we were worried about, what if we could ground ourselves by just imagining with real clarity that place inside us and we could use it to ground ourselves, calm our heart rate, you know, help us think clearly. So I think doing a guided imagery um, on, you know, a video and having that as a tool would probably be the first step. Yeah, beautiful. And what a great place to to finish. And I'll send everybody there on the show notes. It'll be easy to find, guys. Lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast. 
and you can click straight through, but we'll also put it in the link in bio and Instagram so that people can jump straight through as well. Uh, Neha, thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you making your mess that happened in your uh, 20s, (laughs) a huge message for the world um, because I think, you know, when you get so when you experience something so profoundly low as a rock bottom moment and you manage to dig your way out, like that is always going to be helpful to a lot of other humans because so many of us are the same going through these things uh, in so many ways while being our unique selves. So thank you for helping us through it. Oh, thank you. And thank you to everybody listening. I'm just keep doing your work. Keep going. Uh, The world needs every single one of us. It sure does. Well said. I hope you loved today's show as much as I loved bringing it to you. I want to remind you that if you are someone who craves a low-tox community that is judgment-free, full of empowerment, has health professionals and building health professionals that can support you, as well as me in there answering questions multiple times a week, I want to invite you to join the Low-Tox Club. For the price of less than a cup of coffee, a month. You have an annual membership for $49 Australian. So it's about $30 US or Euro that allows you to have a member masterclass every single month with a health professional or global expert from the podcast where we have them to ourselves for an hour to ask questions and deep dive further. You have the beautiful supportive chat group. You have Q and A's with me, me answering questions. We read books and talk about them and a whole bunch more. You can head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and join the club is the very first option on that list. Of course, we have over 10 evergreen courses that you can jump into anytime, whether it's navigating everyday low-tox swaps with our Go Low-Tox signature course, whether you have kids and you're wanting to know how to best support them with our low-tox kids course, whether you're planning a family and looking at a healthy low-tox preconception journey, reducing in inflammation, especially the chronic kind with our Inflammation Ninja course, many, many other courses. You can again head to lowtoxlife.com, hit the courses tab and you'll see all of the options, which includes a business course, my Low Tox Method program. Uh, A lot of people don't know, but uh, I was doing a lot before starting Low Tox Life in 2009. And I was a business consultant across hospitality, health, retail, and cosmetics. I have been in business consulting for a very long time. So I absolutely adore helping people move into the low-tox space or develop their low-tox businesses. So that's a way I can support you. And then, of course, there's our wonderful social media communities at Low-Tox Life on Instagram and, of course, the website with over 250 gluten-free recipes, blogs, downloadable PDFs to help you navigate wanting to get rid of synthetic fragrances in your school or office. I could go on. So head to lowtoxlife.com, see what takes your interest or fancy. And thank you so much for being a part of our podcast community. I love, love, love reading your reviews. I appreciate every follow and subscribe. And I want to just remind you to finish off that if there's anything you heard that you found interesting from a medical or scientific perspective, it is intended as education only. Please always chat to a health professional who knows you and your situation best. I'll see you next week. Bye.